Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The assignment was initially to get the building, my colleagues, my teammates, so people who work for it to think differently about how big this thing can be. And that can be hard for people. Thanks for joining me on the Marketing Vanguard podcast. We're doing this live from Brand Week, um, which is sort of our special series of this of this podcast. And I'm thrilled to have you here. So thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So I would love for you to just honestly share a little bit about you. I, I mean, I think for, for folks who perhaps might surprisingly not know your life story, I um, would love for you to just share a little bit about you and what kind of, you know, what led you to this point. Where I am in life. Yeah. All right, I'll give that 48-second story. It took me 48 seconds. So, you know, we were talking about this uh, earlier. Off yeah. the, you know, born and raised in Richmond, New Jersey. So for folks who don't know, that's, you know, northern New Jersey, about 18 miles west of Manhattan. You know, kind of a thriving, a lot of financial services and yeah. upper crust, fancy, you know, little enclave. But my family was not that within 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 that world. But meanwhile, it's like, you know, I was a sports playing and you know, popular guy and doing all that thing within within the school system. Uh, my mom was divorced when I was a baby. I have two older sisters, right? So I also saw, like, in my house that kind of, like, a woman just getting up and grinding it out and working every day to make yeah. things, like, work. Um, and my grandparents were in a, a neighboring town. They owned restaurants, though, in Ridgewood, blah, blah, blah. So they were, like, pillars of the deal in a different way. Um, and then by the time I graduated high school, it was clear to me that I was going to have to, like, work and pay for school to, at, at the same time, right? Yeah, and yeah. so I, like, went straight to a community college, was playing basketball there for a year. And then was like, listen, I can't like go there and play hoop and work and try and figure this out. Da, da, da. So anyway, that took me to Ramapo College, a little small liberal arts school in yeah. New Jersey. Um, went there. And at that point, it was just a means to an end. I am living at home. I'm going to college. I'm finishing this off. I'm paying for it, right? Took me a little bit longer because of that, that component of it. And I did an internship at CNBC. So I do a lot of work at Rampo now. I'm on the board of governors there. And I, I do love that. And yeah. when I, so it's like my philanthropic thing of choice. And when I give speeches to like the students and stuff there, and they have had me at commencement ceremony and stuff, I say to them, I go, I got two things out of this school. I go, I got my wife and my life. And they're like, mm. wait, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm sitting in a class. It was a, a video production class. And uh, this woman walks in. I was literally distracted when she walks in the door. I'm like, hey, party over here, right? And like other things I was thinking. And, um, and that was Janine. So it's like, okay, so I started dating her. And then we both did an internship at CNBC. And for me, it was like, whoa, live television. I can't get enough of this. Yeah. And for her, she was like, this live television thing is crazy. But I joke around with her. I'm like, like you went to a less hectic thing. She went into advertising, right? So I'm like, <laughs> nonetheless, it got me on that pathway. Um, and so the 
internship at CNBC turned into another theme I give here is, you know, I can't help the age I'm at and like what life was taken at the time. By that, I mean, I had nothing to do with the age I was born and the growth of cable was starting, right? Yeah. So CNBC turned into America's Talking, which was the predecessor to MSNBC. A bunch mm. of us young, dumb 20-somethings stayed at MSNBC. Some of us were like, I want to be on-air reporters. So I chased that for a little bit at News 12 New Jersey and some oh, other cool. things. But the crew who was running CNBC and America's Talking went to launch this Fox News Channel thing. So then they grabbed a bunch of us and brought us over there. And I was over there for three years until I was like, well, it was largely this news world wasn't for where I thought. I just got married at that time to Janine yeah. and was kind of looking to the crystal ball of what I want my life to be like and balance and if I was going to have kids, what I was. So I was doing that dance in my head. Left there, went over to Viacom to some chance meetings over at, uh, or interviews over at VH1, landed mm. in the VH1 news department. Yeah. It was a shift in the coming out of a news environment into this entertainment space. Yeah just in terms of people and culture and learning. But I was like, I, I think this entire Viacom thing is the place for me. Huh. VH1 wasn't the place to me. And then unbeknownst to me, I started doing some work. I don't even know how I landed on it, quite frankly, but I landed on VH1's diversity team. And at the time, uh, the Viacom, the way it was structured, they had a lot of each individual brand, Showtime, Comedy Central, blah, blah, blah. They all had a diversity team. So I was like one of the co-leaders of this team. I'm giving the presentation um, at this cafeteria they called The Lodge there. And... Um, talking about diversity and inclusion, and um, I'm leaving the elevator to go back to another building that I was working in, 1633 Broadway, the main building, 1515 Broadway, mm -hmm. and there's a woman in the elevator, and I feel her staring at me on the side of my, the side of my eye, and I look at her, she's like, hey, I liked your presentation, right? Give me a head nod. And I go, thanks, you know, with the head nod back. She's like, I'm Seema, I'm Keith. And then that was it. I go to this cocktail thing afterwards, a woman comes up to me. She's like, Keith, we met before. She's like, I don't know if you remember my name's Janine. I go, no, I know your name's Janine because it's you're, you. my wife's name's Janine and you oh, spell it the same way. So we got match. She's like, yeah, a colleague of mine really enjoyed your presentation. I go, what's your colleague's name? Seema Zergami. And I go, oh, what does she do? The brands are all siloed, right? Yeah, and we yeah. didn't know. She goes, she runs Nickelodeon. I was like, oh my God, wait, was I rude to her in the elevator, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, we were having lunch every three weeks for about eight months and um, she had this network called Nicktoons that was in like 5 million homes at the time. She's oh like, God. we think it could be bigger and we're not spending a lot of time on it, blah, blah, blah. We want you to be the GM on it. I'm like, what the hell? I know that would be GM. She can't be really talking about me. Anyway, offered me that position and then my suit career took off where it was like, you know, Nicktoons turned from 8 million homes into 70 million homes and T. Nick under the brand, 70 million homes, Nick Jr., blah, 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 whatever. And then oh. you're running day-to-day -day operations and then you kind of move through life and here we are. Oh, my goodness. And now you're president. Of, of the Harlem Globetrotters. Harlem Globetrotters, yeah. which, I mean, talk about iconic brands. Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, you know, I, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, it's it's been such a fabric of our of our culture, yeah. right, the Harlem Globetrotters. I mean, I grew up with it, you know, so many um, generations now, right? right? right. Um, talk a little bit about the, the, um, the power of the brand, you know, the history, mm -hmm. but also how, you, you know, how it's been modernized and yeah. brought forward. Well, um, I'll go. I'll go personally and, and then professionally. Perfect. That's okay, right? Uh, you know, I tell people that I'm not pooing anyone else's job and their gig, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. that I was able to work for 14 years with a brand, Nickelodeon. That if you were a little kid and they were like, "Oh my God, you work at Nickelodeon," yeah, they lose their minds. Sure. The adult. If they were like 30, yeah. oh my God, I grew up on Nickelodeon. They want to tell me about how Rugrats, Ren and Stimpy or whatever was better than the stuff that's <laughs> oh my on. God, Ren and Stimpy. Or the, the adult take them. And yeah. I'm like, 
I don't think I'm going to get a better deal than this to be with like a brand that just lights people up. Like yeah, that. yeah. And I'm like, I struck gold bar. twice. I struck gold twice. Yeah. That I'm at this brand that people go, oh my gosh, I'm from fill in the blank planet Earth. And they can talk about growing yeah. up in the Harlem Globetrotters. So yeah. that's really powerful and yeah. awesome. But the, not the challenge. I guess the opportunity is, though, that the brand, uh, the Globetrotters brand, wasn't swimming down all the lanes that mm-hmm. the audience has been mm-hmm. as the world was changing over the last, let's just say, 15 years, right? Mm-hmm. So they've been operating as a tour only. The only way in which you would touch the Harlem Globetrotters brand is if you showed up at a tour stop in Albany or Biloxi or you know, Germany or what have you. And while the tour stops are powerful, like if you really want to feel the essence of the brand, you should come to the show. Mm. Um, But at the same time, it's like, you know, we were just having meetings with Roblox folks and what's going on with a digital strategy and what's going on with consumer products and licensing and what's going on with gaming and what's going on, the list goes on, On content creation, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the brand hasn't been there. And I'm like, that's when brands just die. So, but I look at it as like this brand that has ninety four percent brand awareness, yeah, and hasn't been living down all the lanes where the audience is. Oh my gosh! But people have a great affinity for it. I'm like, right. it feels like it's only arrow up. Yeah. So for us, that's what we've been doing. It's like stop thinking about this thing as a tour. Right. Think about it as a beloved, beloved global IP. 100%, yeah. And then let's um, start swimming down all the How lanes where the audience is. How long have you been here? Starting yeah. January twenty two. Okay. So this is fresh. I mean, you can you can I mean. Arguably, what do you think about when you come in? Is it is it blank slate or is it um, looking at, you know, looking across all the, the value that you currently have and trying to think about, like, need to preserve this, need to get rid of that, need to add that? Like, how do you how do you regard, you know, um, the game plan, really? Yeah, I think it's both way. blank slate and the possibility and the okay. heritage and the legacy. Yep. Um, but I think. I think, no, the initial challenge was, you know, I'm sitting here talking to you and you're like, yes, I get it. And oh my God, beloved IP and blah, blah, blah. That's not the case of everyone who was working there. You know, so sometimes when you come into a new organization, it's, this is the way we've been doing things. This is what success has historically looked like. Um, Getting people to understand new direction, new possibilities. This is why we're going that direction. Some people can feel hurtful, like you're calling their baby ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, at the end of the day, the job is to, how do we get everyone swimming in the right direction? Right. In the same direction. Yeah. Right? Um, and once you get people swimming in the same direction, they're bought in, they're emotionally bought in, they're invested. And then you can, they can feel heard. At the same time, you can convey to them your vision, your strategy, and the where you're going and all those things. And then they start to see the wins. Yeah. Um, and when people start to see the wins, you know, when we struck a deal, um, with Hearst Media Production Group and got to show up on NBC, Harlem Globetrotters play it forward on Saturday mornings. It was like a sea change. Forget about the B2B community and yeah. the B2C. Inside our building. Yeah. For people to be like, wait, we're on TV? Yeah. For the players, but for the first time in 40 years? Wow. Like, what's going on? We just got showing up at the Today Show or GMA or whatever it is, Kelly Clarkson, blah, 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 possibility. And, right? Not as like a, but just like, these are strategic efforts we're making to have an ongoing conversation with the audience to drive different set of outcomes. Mm. But but the organization started to work differently because they started to see the possibilities. Like, yeah, this world is our oyster for the Harlem Blow There are wow. people who want to align their marketing dollars, their sponsorship dollars, their their brand, whatever it is, with our brand. Um, but it, I feel like the assignment was initially to get the building, my colleagues, my teammates, so people who work for it, to think differently about how big this thing can be. And that can be hard for people. A hundred percent. But also, at the same time, what is it about the brand that has stood the test of time? Um, I think a couple things. You know, 
one, no matter what, life gets hard for people. They got a lot going on. They got bills to pay. They have health issues. Mm-hmm. They have all kinds of things going on. And you could just show up for 90 minutes and just feel joy and love and possibilities and all those things. And uh, and you feel it. You can have kids, not have kids, be 80 years old, be from every walk of life. And I see it all the time. I go to those Globetrotters game. You, they just feel it. So that's enduring. Yeah. And they spread that like word of mouth marketing that they had the best time ever. The value of it at the price feels like nothing compared to other things they pay for. Um it makes them laugh. It makes them cry. It makes them smile. It's feel just something. A, it makes them feel something. To get a shared experience. Right? Yeah. And so, yeah. and they experienced that when they were a kid selfishly at eight, but now they're a parent or a grandparent. They want to play that forward. Yeah. Like, don't put it right. So that's the, that's, that's the enduring thing. I think of the globe shots. It feels like the, it feels like the best of our humanity. Mm. Um, when you're in there on a regular basis, not in an Olympic year moment, not in whatever year. <laughs> it just feels yeah. And you see it. Um, you see people's faces light up when you come to their tour. So being able to spread that out to people, that's enduring. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Yeah, you referenced, you know, sort of new new mechanisms, right, for engagement. Mm-hmm. What are your sort of your how do you tier them or what are you most excited about is something that you you feel like you need to innovate around and and start to move into? And why? I'm going to get to that word innovation in a second because that's an interesting word you brought up that uh, we think about a lot. I think initially it was just about or has been about we haven't been in any of the places. Yeah. So how do we just reposition ourselves? Totally. And, and Right? This linear TV idea, which is TV's dead, but it has been – it was like a an opportunity that came our way that we were able to move on quickly and that gave us some scale in terms of reaching, you know, 800,000 people each week. There are partners who come to us, and I always say, you know, it's great to have just like-minded partners where they believe in us as the brand, we believe in them, because mm-hmm. that's an easier kind of relationship to kind of navigate totally. through. Um, and there's and there's that. And really, we haven't really thoughtfully been in any of the spaces, so the worlds are oyster that way. So, but at the end of the day, cash isn't infinite. It's mm-hmm. finite. So you have to be thoughtful around what are the choices that we're making right now in this moment of time as we're, like, building this thing out, right? Um and so we can't do everything all at once. Right. Um, there's things that we need to put into place now that aren't going to come to fruition for another two years, three years. That's the development cycle for some of these things, right? We have a 100-year anniversary kind of out there in 2026. Yeah. Um, but as long as, you know, I was saying this on stage today, it's like I think it's hard for any of us personally or professionally to make choices when you don't fundamentally know who you are, yeah. right? So we had to do that work. It's like, okay, who are the Harlem Globetrotters and what is it we're trying to achieve? Who's our audience, Right. And we were confused about that for a while. Right. And that had them scattering a a bunch of choices Mm -hmm. around there uh, with a lot of 
different levels of success around that. And I think once we cleared those two things up, like here's who we are as a brand. Mm. Here are our three distinct audiences, kids and parents, families, the 15 to 34-year-old gen kind of Z crowd and mm-hmm. the older crowd that I'm sitting in, right? It's like, okay, that's clear to us. And there's a different offerings for each. Um, that means we can t- think about sponsorships differently for each. We can think about uh, strategic partnerships differently for each, but they're all important. It helped make the choices clear. Yeah. Um, and then we could just say yes or no based on is it a like-minded partner or not? Are they living down those lanes or not? Or based on a fiscal year budget right now, uh, let's push that to 24, let's Correct. push that to 25. And, it, yeah. and then we start to see wins and traction. So interesting because you had the brand awareness. You mm-hmm. ha- had the brand love. Yeah. We just weren't doing anything with it. It's just so fascinating because that's that's the opposite challenge that so many other brands have out there. It's really it's again I'm not trying to speak ill of the past folks, but it's yeah. it's really wild and and sometimes it saddens me. And I always say to the team, I'm like, listen, I I, I can't deal with the past. I, yeah. We're there five years ago, but um, yeah, to have that type of brand awareness and affinity and really not, you know, and and the windows can close on you though. There's a lot of brands that people have had great affinity and love right. for and they just didn't get nurtured and, and, and they can go away. Correct. Yeah. So and you have your work cut out for you. <laughs> I do. I do. Um, you referenced earlier, so um, we were having a conversation earlier, a roundtable discussion here on, you know, just sort of the state of marketing. And I know you mm-hmm. said you volunteer, you know, you're um, a professor at, at oh, yeah, Ramapo. Do some, yeah, do some adjunct professor work there. But yeah. I think that's so great. And I, you know, I personally have passion around uh, bridging uh, the practical and Mm-hmm. And educational worlds yeah. of marketing because I feel like there's an ever widening gap happening there. What's your vantage point on that? You know, as a practitioner with all this experience coming into a classroom and talking to students who think they know what marketing is or think they want to pursue marketing or, or frankly, don't think they want to pursue marketing, how are you negotiating that? What are the, what are some of the interesting takeaways that you're getting from that experience in the classroom? I think I'm just trying to. Con- you know, hopefully people buy what I'm selling, whether it's in the classroom or even the professional. I'm like, you know, everything is marketing. And to understand marketing means you understand business and therefore you are driving outcomes. Like, what do you mean by that? I'm like, you know, like if I'm I'm here right now telling mm-hmm. this story about the Glorb Shotters or my experience growing up or what we're trying to do, I'm marketing this brand right now. Um, it will someone's out there will hear this and it will boomerang back to a deal memo in some way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. or, in, or a next conversation. Um, and I think people underestimate that, which is why they don't put their best foot forward in a lot of different experiences. Like, well, why are we showing up ad week? And should we be spending that money there? And, you know, what's the ROI on that, blah, blah, blah. That's the nickel and dime that happens back at headquarters, so to speak. Yeah. And I think that's why marketers get this term just like, oh, these guys just like are they're creatives and they don't really understand business and they're just going to camp every day at their thing. And they just, it's this it's this narrative. And I'm like, okay, so Rihanna performing at the Super Bowl that had everyone captivated and the playlists are like crazy, you know, on Spotify and blah, blah, whatever. And music sales are going blah, blah, blah. And that, right, right? Is that the spend that they had to do there? Is that, but it elevates the Super Bowl that was once just two teams, Jets and the Colts in a merger, like playing. It was just a game. The NBA Finals, when I was a kid, oh my God, I hate to admit this, was on tape delay. <laughs> Preseason football, right, came on after 11 o'clock on tape delay. And now there's a Thursday night game and a Monday night game and a Sunday night game. And later in the season, there's a Saturday night game. And college football is in a, in a war of like sign up with Apple TV and the ACC network and SEC network. 
It's a multi-billion dollar thing that has pivoted in 30 years. Mm. And that's the power of brands. That's the power mm. of marketing, mm. right? Yeah. And so it drives me crazy when people, like when you say to people, they're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I see that. Well, then what are the schools doing to not bridge that I understanding? Yeah. And then what's going on within our companies Mm. that we have leaders, CEOs, CFOs, COOs, presidents, what have you, papooing marketing, mm. when you know we're trying to do everything that we can strategically and thoughtfully with our PR efforts and our marketing efforts to get people to know what's going on here with the Harlem Globetrotters um, to drive this business forward. Yeah. Everything we do is marketing. Yeah. Everything we do is marketing. What's your remit? I mean, president, obviously, but right. like what so are you overseeing the entire marketing organization? I was I oversee the day to day operations of, of the Harlem Globetrotters. Of so the whole thing, but PR, to include the marketing uh, priority for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you think that, you know, you as a leader in this industry regard your responsibility as, you know, being one of the things I, I do in the Marketing Vanguard podcast is just ask individuals like you to to try to boil down for us a key decision or a key choice you've made that you feel like has been truly influential or has moved the needle for your brand, your business, the industry, or even culture and society, right? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, as a business leader, it's literally the the forks in the road that you face daily. That's what leadership is, is yeah. making the right, right and smart choices um, or making choices that have perhaps, you know, not the effects you anticipated, but... Is there a choice or a decision you've made that you look to or you think about and you can see the real power in the impact that you've had on your business? Um, it's, it's been all about the people. So people that I've brought into the organization and people that we've unleashed in the organization. Um, we were actually having this conversation over lunch today. You know, we, we were able to bring, you know, there are people that I've worked with in the past. Um, you know, when I'm sitting right here in Miriam, right, it's like, our heads of, you know, PR and comms, our heads of content, um, you know, and others. And then, and then people we've unleashed, you know, just kind of listening and learning people that I met when I first started in January 22 and being like, oh, wait, that's some talent buried in the organization. Mm. And elevating them and getting them to work differently, you know, the new and the incumbents. Um, that has been so – because at the end of the day, you can have all the strategy in the world, but it's people in process to bring this thing together, right? Yeah. Um, so – that has been really impactful in the organization. And with that, those people in the process. Um, I don't know what some of the former leadership who was there, I mean, like they were on my team, they're not there anymore. Well, I do know. Were really, they weren't embodying this DNI thing, you know. Mm. They would make some comments that I was like, okay, you're not, you're not long for here that I thought were really pretty ugly and gross. Mm. And in some cases, I, I don't know if they were aware or not. Um, our leadership team is diverse. Mm. Um, our organization is actually very diverse. And then seeing the the actual objective wins, meaning stuff that we're doing in the marketplace and revenue growth and brand growth and all these things by this really diverse, talented, deep backgrounds, blah, 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 group of people. Um, you know, I'm super proud of that because I also know the impact that will have on our total organization that we sit within. Yeah. And then one of the things I also think about day in, day out, because I was once that person when I told you I was the intern in CNBC, I want that young 21, 22-year-old who's coming to – that's what I want them to see our organization look like. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because that just buoys their sales. 100%. Right? Yeah. And when I use diverse, I'm talking about the broadest definition of that. Yes. Everyone under the tent. 
Keith, I have enjoyed our conversation so much. We've only scratched the surface. There's so much more. But I'm thrilled that you're here at Brand Week and, and a part of this. And um, I'm thrilled that you've been part of the Marketing Vanguard podcast. And I look forward to speaking with you again yeah, very, very soon. Yeah, thanks for having so. me. Happy to talk to you anytime. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Marketing Vanguard, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Jordan Pretano, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGibney at Batwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for listening. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.